0: Alright, Luke 1, let's start this morning, Uh, Advent series, Luke chapter 1, and uh, it's interesting about this time of year, as we consider the idea of Advent, and um, historically Advent, is a time where the church actually slowed down and actually considered what the coming of this season meant for us and means for us. And in the middle of our chaotic world, it's as if activity gets ramped up during this time. And um, with that context, with the context of what just seems to be A rampant unveiling of evil after evil in our day in a myriad of ways Um, we need this reminder of Advent of coming so the purpose of historically the purpose of the Advent season was for the church to anticipate the coming of Christ to earth and to celebrate that actual event and it was a season that was focused on waiting as they're anticipating this coming the long expected messiah comes into the world and so we have songs for this time of year that have words like mild he lays his glory by born that man no more may die born to raise the sons of earth born to give them second birth and so we're reminded this like, this wasn't just any baby being born And so as we ponder the first coming of Christ, we also ponder the second coming of Christ. And at times we need to hit the pause button there again and be reminded that our experience right now is not the end of the story. It's a chapter. And what a needed world in our hectic world, needed word in our hectic world today that It's okay, and it's actually good for us to slow down and to ponder. There's nothing instantaneous here. And so for the next four weeks, we'll we'll explore the events from Luke's gospel surrounding this coming. And so before we dive into the text, allow me to offer just maybe a word of encouragement here. Um, Let's be intentional about slowing down. Slowing down for the purpose, not for the purpose of being lazy, hear me clearly, but for the purpose of... Of pondering the incarnation of Christ. God became a man and came as a baby. And so let's do things like reading the birth stories, the birth narratives from Luke and from Matthew. Let's do things like listen to and sing words of gospel centered songs of this season. Let's maybe turn the TV off. Let's maybe push back on the urge to scan for the latest headline or status update. Maybe get off social media for a specific time each day. Turn off phone notifications. Maybe even better yet, just turn the phone off. (laughs) Say no, possibly, to some invites or activities that are maybe not essential for this season. And slow down and ponder. Is it silence is healthy. And for the most part, Let's be honest, we hate silence. Like, what do we call an extended period of silence in a group setting? An awkward moment of silence. However, biblically, in the silent moments of life, God often speaks most clearly. And so this morning, Advent, we're considering the idea of silence is broken. And so situational background for our text and for the birth narrative of Jesus, but Luke's gospel. Specifically, there has been silence from God. Before the events of Luke chapter 1 start to unfold, there's been no word from God for 400 years. There's been waiting on behalf of God's people. There's been hoping on behalf of God's people. There's been praying, as we'll see in just a minute, on behalf of God's people. And there's been silence on behalf of God. In that sense, spiritual leaders called by God to lead his people are wrecked by tradition. They're, as Jesus will call them, a brood of vipers. They're hypocrites. There's corruption that's running rampant among these spiritual leaders who are supposed to be leading the people of God, anticipating the coming Messiah. Also, situational background, God's people are under the rule of Herod the Great. We'll look at him in a little more detail in just a second. He's a tyrant. He's not a friend of the people of God. And so in that contextual background, in that historical setting the events of Luke chapter 1 start to unfold. So let's pick it up, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. We'll read all the way through verse 25. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. There appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we confess this is your word. And we need your spirit to understand these words rightly and then to respond to these words appropriately remind us that silence is not wasted and that in this narrative you break the silence with pronouncements and fulfillments of the coming Messiah give us grace to hear well, give me grace to preach well. We pray it in Christ's name, Amen. So we're gonna, as we walk through the text, we're gonna take section after section and just consider what's going on here, um, and kind of, kind of looking at the text as if it's different acts in a play. We're looking at Act One, Act Two, Act Three, Act Four, uh, and so first Act, we're gonna see the setting the setting here of what's going on, verses 5 through 7. We see first improbable characters. We're introduced to three people, Herod, and Zechariah, and Elizabeth. So in the days of Herod, king of Judah, uh, we're introduced to Herod at the beginning of Luke's account here. Uh, Herod occupied Judea as a non-Jew. He was basically the king of the Jews without being a Jew. And as such, he was a tyrant, he was a murderer, he was a manipulator. He was not in the line of David, who the king of the Jews was supposed to be in the line of David. So in all kinds of ways, the Jews saw Herod as just an incredible blasphemy before God. Um, and so he's acting as king. And we'll know, we know from later uh, parts of this story that he is such a tyrant that whenever he tried to find the one who was born the king of the Jews and was tricked, he said, okay, well, I'm just going to kill all the baby boys and ha- enacted an edict where he had all boys slaughtered in Judea. And so, improbable character number one, Herod. Improbable character number two, Zechariah. Zechariah's name means Jehovah remembers. He's the priest of the division of Abijah. And so, just to kind of give you an idea of what's going on here, there are 24 priestly divisions that David set up in his time. As the the ministry of the temple started to unfold, the need for more priests started developing, and so you end up with, at this point, about 18,000 priests. Twenty-four divisions, and Abijah, Abijah's division was the eighth division. And so Luke specifies Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And then we're introduced to improbable character number three, Elizabeth. Elizabeth's name means oath of God. She's Zechariah's wife. She's of the line of Aaron, Luke tells us there in verse 5. She's uh, He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. And so Zechariah married Elizabeth, who's not just any gal in Israel. She's like, got all the credentials that a priest needs to look for in a proper wife to maintain purity in this priestly line. Okay? So um, he, he marries her to, to, to not mess up any kind of inheritance that comes in the line of the priest and also not to allow any defilement to come in uh, genetically. And So what they're doing and why Luke includes this is he's reminding us that these two folks, this husband and wife, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're fulfilling everything expected and so notice what Luke says about them in verse 6 and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord this is an an echo right of Abram Abram believed God and God accounted it to him as righteousness and so they're they're living by faith living as best they know they're they're not perfect we get that from the better teachings the larger teachings of scripture but they're faithful after following after God and so improbable characters then in verse 7 we see an impossible situation This is all in the setting, impossible situation. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. So think about this. If anyone deserved God's favor, you're looking at the couple right here. Like They're doing everything right. They are righteous before God. They're walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Zechariah, a priest, married Elizabeth, the right wife for the priest, yet they're barren. There's this ominous tone that comes in verse 7, but they had no child. They had no, they're hadn't. obedient, they're faithful, they're humble, yet barren. And so we know from what Elizabeth's going to say on the back end of this story that her barrenness is actually a reproach for her. It's kind of a, a, a source of shame for her before people. And, this, and, and we know that they're getting old Verse 7, they're both advanced in years. Which, just as a side note, not, not the main emphasis of the text, but a side note here. Uh, they're righteous, they're blameless, and they're childless. What does this teach us? This teaches us that righteous living does not exempt us from suffering in this life. Like They're doing everything right. If anybody should have a smooth way of life, it should be them. However, they're faithfully obeying God in all ways they know how and yet are without child, which is a, a, a source of reproach for them. And so the stage is set here with this setting for the play to begin, and God is the one who's writing this script. So we're introduced uh, to the setting, the characters there, and then secondly, we're, we see this encounter, verses 8 through 17. In verses 8, 9, and 10, we see a heightened sense of anticipation. And verse 8 look at it now while he Zechariah was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood he was chosen by lot to enter the temple to burn incense verse 10 the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense so you, you have a praying people in this anticipation and they're they're praying essentially asking God to fulfill his promise for a messiah right and so you have praying people, but you also have a praying, piece, a praying priest when, the, um, when Gabriel comes to Zechariah in verse 13 and says to him, hey, your prayer has been heard. So in this, in this season of heightened anticipation, Zechariah verse 9 is chosen to go before God. This is not just like, hey, Zechariah, you're up. This is a massive moment for this man. He gets the opportunity of a lifetime, literally, Opportunity of a lifetime to go and offer incense before the Lord. Verse 9 says, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by a lot to enter the temple of the Lord to burn incense. The people are praying, the priest is praying, and whatever this, this drawing of straws event is here is not an indication that what's happening here is by accident. The people are praying, the priest is praying, and God's plan is being fulfilled. Only priests can perform this act of offering incense to the Lord. If you go back to 2nd Chronicles 26, King Uzziah tried to do what only the priest could do and offer incense to the Lord and he instantly turned into a leper. It's like this is this is a big deal. So Zechariah is one of about 18,000 priests and he's chosen to go and offer incense to the Lord. Why what's the deal about incense or to Two pictures that we have in this offering of incense. One is prayer to God and one is the presence of God. So Revelation 5, 8, we read of golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Revelation 8, 3, an angel came, stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints. So offering incense is a picture of prayer to God. But offering incense is also a picture of presence of God. It's it's reminiscent as this as the, the the smoke from the incense starts to fill the temple. It's reminiscent of the cloud of God's glory from the wilderness. And then, if, if you remember Isaiah's vision of the Lord in chapter six and verse four, Isaiah sees the house filled with smoke. And some actually believe that as the priest is offering incense before the Lord, it's 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 having a helpful. Effect for the priest, where it's protecting the priest from the full expression of the glory of God. Here's the key point this is a big deal. This is not just some routine act that Zechariah is doing. He's chosen, he's old, and he's been doing this for his life, right? So let's just say 60, 70 years. He's been faithfully serving as a priest, faithfully serving as a priest, and then word comes. Hey, Zechariah, you're up. And he is the one that gets to go in and offer incense to the Lord, this anticipation. And so in this heightened season of anticipation, after 400 years of silence, the silence is broken. And the silence is broken, reminding us that God is on the move. He's fulfilling his promise to his people. And the silence is broken in this season of anticipation with the appearance of an angel. So look at verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. This angel of the Lord is clearly representative, uh, rep- representing God and speaking on behalf of God. The angel is intentionally standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So this is like close proximity. You get the picture here. Zechariah is there offering this incense to the Lord in the bowl of incense, and then there's an angel. Right? Like this, I mean, for the priest, like this is a big deal. Like if you don't do this right, God kills you. And an angel shows up. What's the default response? Came over. I I did something wrong. <laughs> I walked in here something went bad. And so this angel shows up, angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. The angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense, if you look at that biblically, it's, it's a position of favor, of blessing. Like this is not an ominous visit. This is an encouraging visit that's coming from this angel. And so what's Zechariah's response to this angel appearing? He's troubled. Like there's, the word literally means he's distressed in his soul. Like There's instant turmoil with this angel appearing, and he's fearful. And the angel says, do not fear. So verse 12, when Zechariah sees him, fear fell upon him. Angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. So there's this angel. So anticipation, angel, and then there's this announcement of the angel that comes. The angel says to Zechariah in verse 13, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. What prayer? Well, probably twofold prayer. What's he been praying for, for his whole lifetime? He's been praying for a son, right? Like, I mean, we know they're barren. And what does a Jewish father want? He wants a son to carry on the family name, to carry on the priestly line, to do all these things. So he's praying for a son. But he's also, as we see from the larger picture of the text, he's also praying for the Messiah to come. And the angel says, your prayer has been heard. And God is answering their prayer in ways greater than you can imagine. And this is how God is going to answer your prayer. Your prayer has been heard, verse 12, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will, name him, you will call his name John, which means Yahweh has been gracious. God has given grace. And so like this is so specific, this announcement. Okay, your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth, she's going to bear you a son. She's, she's not going to die. You're going to get a younger wife. And, she's, and your younger wife's going to, no, your old wife is going to bear you a son. And you're going to name this son John, which means Yahweh has been gracious. And so then what's going to happen? Verse 14, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Why? Why? Not just because he, of this son, verse 15, he will be great before the Lord, but because of the work of this son. The whole purpose of John coming into the world is to make ready for the Messiah coming into the world. John is not the Messiah. The one coming after John is the Messiah. And so this, then, then the angel in this announcement goes and gives this description of John. He will be great before the Lord. Just notice a contrast here. So verse 15, for he, John, will be great before the Lord. Remember, some people came and asked him, hey, are you the Messiah? Like, there's something really unique about you. Could you be the one? And he says, oh, no, 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 no. There's one coming after me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Right? John. The angel says about John here, verse 15, for he will be great before the Lord. Skip over to verse 32 of chapter 1. This is where the angel comes and appears to Mary and tells Mary what's about to happen with her. Verse 31 And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. Notice the difference here. Verse 32, he, Jesus, will be great. Verse 15, he, John, will be great before the Lord. What's going on here? John is going to be great before the Lord as a man. Jesus is going to be intrinsically great. And so immediately the angel's drawing this delineation between John and Jesus. It's then going on in this description of John, he would grate for the Lord, verse 15, and he must dr- not drink wine or strong drink. Probably doesn't point to him being an abolitionist. It probably points to him living a simple ascetic lifestyle. Like just living out in the desert on bugs and honey. Not having the privileges of a more affluent lifestyle. And then there's this other unique statement about him. causes us some theological tension. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. What are you going to do with that one? What is this teaching? Well, if you think biblically, what, the, what Gabriel is saying to Zechariah is, your son's going to be different. He's coming into the world. He's, 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 he needs the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. He needs the Messiah. He'll be great before the Lord, but he's going to be different. Old Testament... We see the we see the Spirit of God coming on his prophet for a particular purpose and so the spirit comes upon someone and then this one whom the spirit comes upon starts to perform or to speak for God. this is happening for John from the womb. what's going on? God is choosing which he's perfect um, he's God right he can choose to operate outside of the typical way of operating if he desires. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, This is not going to happen for anybody else. But this guy. And if and if like we'll see it next week. But when Elizabeth goes to visit Mary, Elizabeth is six months pregnant and Mary just has conceived, and when the baby John in Elizabeth's womb is in the presence of the Messiah in Mary's womb, what does John start to do? He starts like a praise session in the womb. Right? It's not just like kicking and doing all but there's a spiritual reality that's going on here so we know that john is going to be different and here's why john is going to be different verse 16 he will turn many of the children of israel to to the lord their god he will go before him in the spirit and power of elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. What does that sound like? That sounds like repentance. If you've been going this way, John's going to come proclaim repentance. What was his message? Like if there's one banner that's over the ministry of John, it's repent. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you don't want to be out. So, he'll turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord your God. Verse 17, he will go before him... In the spirit and power of Elijah. That's kind of a strange pronouncement. Over a baby that's not yet conceived. Hold your finger here and go to Malachi chapter 4. Last book of the Old Testament there. just Go left. Hit Matthew. Keep going a few pages. Malachi chapter 4. Remember? Before this moment, what did we have? 400 years silence. How did the 400 years of silence begin? It began... With Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Go back to verse 16 of Luke 1. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Imagine this moment for Zechariah. You think Zechariah knew Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6? You better believe it. You better believe it. And in this moment, when Gabriel says this about his son, just imagine just the Mental explosion that occurs for him as this dot gets connected in his heart and in his mind. And it's, oh, it's not just an angel that's appearing and speaking to me, but silence is broken. And so for him in this moment, this dot goes back 400 years to this fulfillment of all this anticipation that's led to this point. And in this encounter, we, we're reminded this, 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 this encounter is not about Zechariah. It's not about Elizabeth. It's not about Herod. It's not about Israel. It's about the Lord becoming Messiah. And so the stage is set, heightened anticipation, and God steps in and breaks the silence. And for this faithful old priest, one of 18,000, A dot gets connected for him. Imagine the moment. So there's the encounter. And then starting in verse 18, we see confusion. How how do you respond to this, right? I mean, just, we're we're not Jewish priests, but just just kind of mentally trying to put yourself in that situation. How do you respond to this? I mean, we can over-spiritualize this and say, man, I'd bow, I'd fall flat on my face before the Lord, just thanking Him and praising Him and worshiping Him, we'd probably do something like what Zechariah does here. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. (laughs) What is he asking for? He's asking for a sign, right? What's, What's the proof here? Like, I hear you, and it sounds good, and my heart's fluttering because I know Malachi 4 ends with what you just said. How can I know? And what is he trying to do? He's asking for a sign, but for what purpose? He's trying to rationalize God's moving by natural means. What's the, what's the, the problem that he places before the angel? Dude, we're old. I mean, I'm old, my wife is advanced. Like, we're, we're way beyond baby time. But what we're finding here is that God, just as with this pronouncement over John, that he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb, God is perfectly capable of working outside and above the natural way of working, if he so chooses. Like, yes, you're old. Yes, your wife is old. But this is the way this is going to happen. So Zechariah replies with how. How is this going to happen? And then Gabriel responds. (laughs) Look at this response, verse 19. I am Gabriel. Gabriel. I'm not just any angel, but I'm one of the three that are named in the Old Testament. And you know what I've done in the Old Testament. Not just I am Gabriel, but I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and bring to you this good news. Which implies what? Like, angel comes front, God, hey, Gabriel, come here. It's time. It's time. There's a priest named Zechariah. He's going into the temple right now. Stand on the right side of the altar of incense and tell him this. And so what does the angel do? Does the work of the Lord and speaks on behalf of the Lord. And the result, verse 20, And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. You won't be able to talk about this, what would any person who experienced this want to be able to do? Man, let me tell you what just happened to me in there. But because of his disbelief, but also there's an element of grace there in this moment. Gabriel says, your mouth is going to be silent. You want a sign? Here you go. Keep your mouth shut. And so his muteness, however, his being mute will only be for a time. Verse 20. And behold, you be silent and, and unable to speak these things until the day that these things take place. Because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So it's, you're, you're, you're being unable to speak is only for a season. And we know from later part of the story, he was also probably deaf as well. Because they're making signs to him to try to communicate with him. So it's like all of his communication avenues are gone. So like get get what God is doing here. 400 years of silence is broken with this pronouncement of the angel. Your son is going to be the forerunner for the son. And Zechariah, just like any of us would have said, "Mm, how's that going to work? And so silence is broken with a pronouncement which is confirmed by silence, right? So Zechariah comes out and everybody realizes like something's going on in there. Either he's visiting with God or he's dead. It's kind of the implication here. Verse 22. And when he came out, he wasn't able to speak to them. Verse 21, I'm sorry. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. Like, mm, I mean, he should be here by now. Like, should somebody go in and check on him? I'm not. He was the one chosen by lots to go in. He's on his own on this one. So there's a delay, and like people realize something's going on, verse 22 when he came out he wasn't able to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute and when his time of service was ended he went to his house his silence coming out of the temple is odd typically priests would come out of the temple and pronounce some type of blessing over God's people Something like Numbers 6, 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. And so typically the priest would come out after serving before the Lord and make a pronouncement over the people of God. And Zechariah comes out and there's nothing coming out of his mouth. And there's nothing coming into his ears. He comes out and the silence is broken with silence. But they knew, verse 22, they knew something was going on. They realized he had seen A vision in the temple. So there's this confusion. But in the confusion. There's clarity. As God is continuing to do his work. And then. Fourth we see this fulfillment. Verse 24. After these days. His wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months. She kept herself hidden. Saying. Thus the Lord has done for me. And the days when he looked on me. To take away my reproach among people. Silence is broken by the pronouncement of the angel. And then. Also the fulfillment of this promise. And. Zechariah comes out, can't speak, and his wife conceives, and then she becomes the one who can speak. And what does she say? Well, she keeps herself in hiding. Debate on, on purposes for that. But she speaks and says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. The Lord takes away her reproach among people With a promised son. Like this was not in their plan. This was not part of their expectation. God stepped in and intervened to fulfill the the events transpiring before the Messiah comes. And so the Lord takes away Elizabeth's reproach before people with a promised son, because this is what the Lord is doing. The Lord takes away our reproach before him with the promised son. So like you get what's going on here. But the Lord takes away Elizabeth's reproach before people, before her peers, with the promised son. Because what? She's no longer barren. And she's like, I, who cares if I'm old? i got a baby. And i got a boy. And we're going to name him John. And so the Lord takes away her reproach before people. But in the Lord taking away her reproach before people, God is constantly moving to fulfilling the avenue through which he takes away our reproach before him. With the promised son that's coming. So what's what's going on? Well, in the silence, God is often working in ways we don't understand. God is setting the stage in Luke 1, has been setting the stage for 400 years. Galatians reminds us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Like on the perfect point in the calendar. It's not as if they're just up in the heavens flipping coins. All right. Heads are going tomorrow, tails will wait till next week. No, on the appointed time, the events of the coming Messiah begin to unfold. And silence is broken as God is fulfilling His promise, and He's setting the stage for His glorious work. And from the silence, God speaks. And what is God speaking? He's speaking the gospel. There's something that goes on in verse 19. That we just read and understand. And okay, yeah. The angel says to Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you. And to bring you this good news. The word good news there is gospel. It's the same word. And so in this baby boy coming to an old mama. An old daddy who had faithfully served God and deserved everything up to this point. But God had seen fit for this moment to be the reality. He's unfolding the good news, the gospel. And so John is going to come and he's going to simply say, prepare the way of the Lord. What is his role? His role is to make for the Lord a people prepared. And he's going to be the voice of the one crying in the wilderness Make straight the way of the Lord. He's going to be the weird guy out there that's a a sideshow that everybody wants to go see that God is using all of that weirdness for people to hear, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he's the one who's going to say in John 3, oh, no, 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 no. I must decrease. He must increase. He's the one that God is using to set the stage for the pronouncement that's going to come. We'll look at next week to uh, not an old woman advanced beyond childbearing years, but a young woman not yet in a situation conducive to childbearing. God's just breaking the silence with all of these fantastic details, and He's doing it so that Christ can come. And we can celebrate the incarnation. And that it wasn't just some thrown-together Half hatched plan. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. And the silence is broken by the good news of the gospel. So, church, let's be careful over these few weeks to have a heightened sense of reality of what we're celebrating. And as you're, whatever, setting up your nativity, or if you haven't hung the ornaments on the tree, just whatever you're doing that is part of this season, let's be mindful of, this just kind of scratches the surface of what's really happening during this time. And God in His grace came to an old priest way beyond childbearing years, who was married to an advanced in years wife, beyond childbearing years, and said, "No, this is how this is going to happen." And isn't like, isn't that the same way he works in our lives? Like, we're we're dead. Like, they were dead in regard to childbearing. Like, they were done. I mean, they were on the back end. They're like, well, I mean, we'll babysit for other people, I guess. We're not going to have one of our own. I mean, so and regarding childbearing they they're dead and God intervenes and what does he do he quickens them to life in childbearing what does he do with us we're done <laughs> way past way past beyond anything if we get anything that we deserve it's not a good ending and God quickens us to life and how does he do it he does it verse 19 with this good news and so the silence is broken by the gospel. And in the silence, we remember the gospel. Right? In, in the quiet moments, over these few weeks leading up to December 25th, let's be intentional about just shutting off and remembering the gospel. Remembering. I was dead. There was no hope. Beyond anything. If I were to get what I deserve. Utter condemnation for all of eternity. And God is totally just. In bringing that to me. But God in his grace. Moved on me. Called me into his family. Named me a son. And gave me life. And how does he do it? He does it by the good news. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for encouraging us through an old priest who had served you for years. Lord, that you stepped into his life in a particular season and continued to unfold your plan of the Messiah. Lord, help us as your church to be careful. To be careful in in the middle of chaos that comes with this time of year. To stop, to pause individually, as families, collectively as a church, and to remember. To remember that Christ has come. In the most humble of ways. And may we, may we be like John the Baptist saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. May we declare, just like John, I must decrease, he must increase. Lord, thank you for breaking the silence and fulfilling everything perfectly according to your plan. And doing it so, you alone receive the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.